So we start our Sermon Expanded for, again, the, the last couple of weeks. I thought I would leave this one and do this one as a, as a two-parter again because it's we're looking at the same story. This time we're looking at Jacob and Esau and various parts of their story, which we um, will see as we go on. The first part is, of course, Jacob and Esau, they are born. They become these brothers who go to war. And then at the very end of the story, to give it away, if you haven't read it or you haven't listened, this this will be the spoiler alert, they reunite. And so these cover a, a various chapters. We start at chapter 25 of Genesis and we go through to 33. You can take some time if you haven't read those or haven't listened um, to the readings. You can take some time now, pause this or stop it and read through those. I'm not going to read it all here because that would just take up too much time. That's for you to do and you to reflect and think on. And then what we do in these Sermon Expanded is to then think about those things or, or to think about what we have read and what we what we have heard. Uh, and so we're going to do that. We're going to look at a few of these. We're going to rattle through them. So probably if you do have your Bibles, that's helpful to some extent. Or if you have read these stories, that's helpful to an extent as well. But these are our Sermon Expanded. Um, one of the reasons I didn't do one last week as well is that I I, I was coughing like a trooper and I still am. Uh, we've had this in our house, we've had this cold that's been going around everybody and so everybody's been down at some point. I've been down for a little while and have this cough for a couple, for, for certainly a week and a half anyway as a result of it. So I may be coughing and spluttering but I'll try to stop and pause it when I do so that you're not having to listen to me splutter basically. But we're looking at these passages and there's there's three passages which we're going to like look at specifically. The first is Genesis 25 verses 29 to 34. The second is chapter 27 verses 1 to 46. And then the third is Genesis 33, 1 to 20. Um, and yes, I, I'll do this a little bit before I, I, I go on to kind of start. If we've been going through Genesis, if you've been going through, if you've been reading bits or maybe you've been you've listened to the Bible in a year in the past and there are always these sections that are introduced by genealogies. Very exciting, very entertaining, very hard to read genealogies. Usually starts with the kind of he general heading of these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Noah and the sons of Noah, Shem or Terah or Ishmael, Isaac, Esau and Jacob. So we have all these generations and then we have a list. So for example, at the start of chapter 25, before we go into this story, we have, um, it says, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons. Nebioth, the firstborn, Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hada, Terma, Jetur, Nafish, Kedam, and then it goes on to so-and-so. And we tend to just kind of brush over these, which, which is fine. They're not of a lot of interest to us. We don't know these names. Maybe, maybe you look at these if you're trying to pick baby names or children names. Maybe you just think they're odd, which they are for us. <coughs> Excuse me, but what they do is that they separate these books and the people who would have had these oral traditions handed down because of course they didn't have the Bible to start with when this was written. This is how they would have separated these stories. This is how these stories would have begun by these generations of oh you know that story about Esau and Jacob oh yeah they were the, the generations of 
And so it's not just a little, oh, well, here's a lot of odd names. This, this was a way of remembering. It was like a, a word association. It's like something you have to remember for your exams. This oral tradition handed down. These were all included and these separated the story. And so we see them again at the start of chapter 25. That's just a, a little aside. This chapter 25 where it talks about Abraham's death and some of his descendants and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca, a sister of uh, Laban to be his wife. We've covered that story in Israel, Israel. Isaac prayed to his wife and blah 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 and basically she conceived and gave birth to these twins, Esau and Isaac. But we are told in chapter 25, verse 22 and 23, the children struggled together within her and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. This prophecy from God about what was going to happen to these sons who were within her, the two nations, it's a prophecy of, of what will come to pass and what will come to be. And of course, the rest of the story is about that. And so that is what she has in mind. That is the, the words that are given to her. That is what she will be thinking of when it comes to some of these stories. And the very next story then is about this blessing about I, um, Jacob when he comes in. Sorry, not Jacob. Esau when he comes in from the field at the end of chapter 26. When Esau comes in from the field and is exhausted and says to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. And Jacob says, well, says, well, sell me your birthright. And he says, like, yeah, I'm about to die, so what use is a birthright to me? And so sells his birthright for this plate of stew. We're told that this isn't a, a boyish prank. It's not something that just was a, a bit of a, oh, sure, like, it doesn't really matter because, you know, it's we're just young and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just starving and so it doesn't really mean much. And Jacob what in this birthright is doesn't really that doesn't really mean anything. But we're told in one of the commentaries that we've been looking at, the Mottier commentary, where Jacob's demand for the birthright was no boyish prank that parental authority could reverse, for the transaction was sealed with an oath and oaths were binding in this culture and in this society. Esau knew it, but chose to disregard the consequences so despising his birthright. His couldn't care less attitude disqualified him and became a warning to others who might equally flippantly forfeit their spiritual heritage. Esau's oath could not be revoked because it was legally binding. Uh, and so we have this idea that Esau really didn't care. All he wanted to do was go out and hunt. All he wanted to do was go out and, and catch game. And so he despises his birthright. He doesn't really matter. And the birthright was a, was a big deal, as it would still be in some parts of our land today, where you have the firstborn son who would get everything, essentially. Certainly in, in farming communities, which is what springs to my mind, where the firstborn son would take over the farm, or maybe in a, a another company, or something will trigger in your mind about the firstborn son who, who gets, who has the authority who takes on the headship if his father is gone. And so we have that essentially in this story that Esau is due as the firstborn to get this authority, to get this headship, to get all that the firstborn is due and yet basically sells it for some food because he's just a little bit hungry. 
not even told these. He just says, I'm exhausted and hungry, and so give me what you have, and despises it. And then we discover that actually, maybe that's not what he truly wanted. goes on in chapter 27, which is the second part we see in verses 1 to 46, where, excuse me, <coughs> I'm just going to leave those in because, of, anyway, he's given this blessing, or he is due to be given, given a blessing by Isaac. Simply before Isaac dies, he goes and passes on this spiritual and this physical blessing and it's due to be given to his first son, and his first son should have it. But Jacob, whose name is means cunning in the language, and alongside his mother, come up with this scheme and go in, and Jacob essentially gets the blessing, and when this is found out, Esau's furious. Isaac's furious, and it all kind of breaks down, and the two brothers go their separate way. In church, when I was talking about this, I kind of... I related it into the old Antiques Roadshow, maybe you've watched that in the past, where people come in with all these random items, they come in with these things that they find in their attics, they come in with all this stuff that, um, that well, some of which just looks like junk, and yet some of it can be incredibly valuable. They're paraded out and expect, inspected, and for me, as a child growing up, and even now, it's kind of a game where you want to see the person, whether they're really disappointed or whether actually they're overwhelmed. And you, you can tell. There's always that person who brings their something that they think is amazing. They find it maybe in the attic. It's maybe been an heirloom of generations in their family. And really it comes to be worth not very much. There's an old comic I remember reading as a child about this where a man takes a painting in to get valued and discovers it's only worth 50p because it's a paint by numbers and you can wipe off a bit of the paint and discover the numbers underneath and so there's that feeling of disappointment in some people where they don't get what they expect they think it's going to be worth millions but it's not and then there are the other people who take something in probably out of curiosity and maybe don't know what it is or maybe want to find out a little bit more about it probably looks a bit odd, probably looks a bit strange, but they discovered that it's worth an incredible amount, that it's this thing of incredible value. I was looking up to see what the most expensive thing that has um, ever been brought into Antiques Roadshow, and there's many things, there's a Fabergé type egg that's been brought in that's worth up to a, a million pounds, but there was one thing that caught my eye, which was the Dickon medals. It's an animal equivalent of a Victoria Cross. And basically, there were these quarter of a million pigeons in the National Pigeon Service that saved thousands of lives during the First and Second World Wars. Every reconnaissance, there we go, that's probably what I said, reconnaissance aircraft, every bomber that left the shores of the UK had two racing pigeons. If the aircraft was shot down and the radio was lost, the pigeons would be released with the coordinates. They'd fly back and the aircrew would be able to be picked up. And so all these animals were given these medals. And so somebody brought in some of these medals and they were valued between 180 and 200,000 pounds. Incredible amount of money for something that maybe the rest of us wouldn't look at or we wouldn't think a pigeon medal was really worth that much, whereas actually it was worth an incredible amount that's not so you can go home and look at what's in your attic or the family heirloom that's been handed down or the, the painting that's paint by numbers. 
it's about finding value and it's about missing value. Some of us can look at those things and think they're just junk or think they're worthless. Others will see incredible value in them. And there's a little bit of that in this story in terms of Jacob and Esau, in terms of Esau seeing no value in what he had, no value in what was his already, and no value in what lied lay before him as the the firstborn, as the son who was to receive this. And the lesson for us really is about that, about what we find value in and about seeing value in it, about not despising the blessing, the inheritance, which is ours. In that little quotation I read about Jacob's demand for the birthright was no boyish prank. His couldn't care less attitude disqualified him. This is Esau and became a warning to others who might equally flippantly forfeit their spiritual heritage. And that, that's talking about us. That's about us flippantly forfeiting our spiritual heritage. It is possible to forfeit the spiritual privilege by despising God's promises and by stubbornly rejecting God's way until the door shuts. It's this idea that we can do the same as that. We have been given a spiritual heritage and blessing by God through Jesus and yet many of us despise that and maybe not in a strong way despise that but we overlook it. We replace it with things that really aren't that valuable. We're like Esau who replaces it with a bowl of stew. He doesn't really care about it. He just needs something in the moment and so replaces that spiritual blessing and physical blessing that he is to receive with something that is just so inferior, less than, not worth anything in comparison. <clears throat> That's what he replaces it with and that is the risk that we run at times and that is what we need to keep in our minds that we don't despise this blessing, this inheritance, even our part within the church which is ours, which we can overlook. Uh, our churches, which happen every week, you know, they'll, they'll always be there. Those people will always be there. And we overlook and maybe even despise the blessing that inherits, which is ours, by being part of that community, by giving into that community, by giving of ourselves to that community. We overlook that blessing and inheritance, which can be ours. And so that can be a, in a very practical way in terms of even our church but our spiritual heritage, our spiritual blessing, which God gives to us. And so those are the first two parts of the stories, the first two parts of, of this story, certainly, about this blessing and inheritance, which is ours and can be ours. The second part is about Jacob and Esau as they reunite. They go their separate ways. We don't really follow Esau in any of these stories or further in Genesis. We get the story of Jacob, who then is the, the, the blessed one, the chosen one by God, the one who's going to inherit all this blessing and inheritance, even if it's slightly, slyly done, even if it's quite devious and cunning, even if his mother has really set up the whole thing. You could argue and ask the question, well, it, it was prophesied in this way. It was prophesied that the, the older would serve the younger, and so is she not just fulfilling what God wants? You could say that, but certainly it's in, it's in a quite devious and cunning way. Does that make it right? I don't think so. I don't think we can say, oh, well, you know, God wants me to have this blessing and so I'm going to take it and grasp it with my own hands, even if it is by taking shortcuts or by going against what we're taught within the Bible. 
if it goes against what Jesus says, I can dodge my taxes or I can do what I want or I can go and get that by maybe illegitimate means. All, all those kind of ideas are wrapped up in that. We don't want to do it in that way. We shouldn't want to do it in that way just to get a shortcut to a finish line to some sort of reward that we feel we deserve. And so it's all done by cunning, but we follow that story of Jacob through the next number of chapters until we get to the point in chapter 33 when they come to reunite or they at least hear that they're going to reunite. But before that, there's an interesting part where Jacob wrestles with God where he takes these and he's left alone and a man wrestles with him until the breaking of the day and when that man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him but Jacob wrestles with him until he receives a blessing again it's this this idea that Jacob's Jacob's an interesting and odd character in that he, he doesn't give up he wants it he will get it whatever means and whatever way that is possible uh, even if that is this kind of wrestling literally and God says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And so changes his name, changes his future, essentially, because your name in this culture was a, a hugely important thing. And Jacob's name has changed. But the very next story, then, we should see this transform Jacob. We should see this Jacob who's willing to step out, who's willing to go the extra mile, to do all those things that we think about when we think of Christians reuniting, reconciling the way it should be performed. And so when we see this, when we read through this story, that is in a sense what we see. We see Jacob who goes out and very humbly goes before Esau. He, he hears that, <coughs> excuse me, Here's that Esau has these 400 men coming and so there's a little bit of fear and so the old Jacob might have just run or or hidden himself but he separates his wives and his children. He separates them all out to try and protect them and then he humbly goes bowing to the ground seven times until he comes near to his brother as an apology, as, as a way of saying I'm, I'm yours, I'm your servant, you are my master by this boying by the way that he goes out and they have this gracious and loving exchange he sort of runs to meet him and braces him and they kiss and weep and then they have this little dialogue of all that they see of each other they haven't obviously seen each other in this whole time and so they have a little catch up what's been happening what's been going on what are all these children and families and servants and all of this stuff that you've each gathered, I mean Esau's done pretty well too, he's got 400 men who are at his backing so they, they've both done well and so they're, they're having this catch up to try and get to terms with all that goes on and then there's this suggestion that they go on and, and almost reconcile in a way of well this could be a future for us as brothers maybe as a, as a whole nation and Jacob kind of talks around that, maybe likes the idea of that but then goes well, you know, I don't want to drive the animals too hard and so you go on and I'll follow and I'll catch up with you but then does a bit of a left turn and they go their separate ways again and there's nothing more that's talked about that. And so we wonder, well, is this Jacob really transformed? Is this really a different Jacob or is he simply 
the same old Jacob who's knows what's going to happen or or doubts for the future and so goes his own way. Who does his own thing? Is it really reconciliation then? Some commentaries, some people would say no. There is a commentary which does say yes. It talks about this as a as a friendly exchange, as a as a as an embracing between brothers, and then the two brothers go their separate ways as friends. That um, Jacob's humble. He desires not to make a, a fair show for putting this extra pressure on Esau. And they simply go apart as friends, having in a friendly manner parted with Esau, who had gone to his own country. Jacob comes to a place where it would seem he rested for some time, set up booths for his cattle, and sets up this altar then. And so they would suggest that it's a, it's a very friendly kind of going their separate ways. I find that hard to see. Maybe that's my own perceptions I'm putting into this story. Maybe it's something where I read into it because anytime I've been wronged I always feel like people have ulterior motives when they wrong me and when we try to reconcile anytime I've been slighted it's hard to feel like it's a genuine repentance at times at times it will be at times those apologies for that repentance will be extremely genuine but with a character like Jacob it would make us wonder has he really transformed in this way? Can he really transform? And for us then, what, what does it tell us about reconciliation? It comes at a, at a cost. Jacob has to humble himself. and there, there are consequences for each other. But can we reconcile and simply then go our separate ways? Is, is that seen as true reconciliation? Can that be seen as true reconciliation? Do we need to reconcile and, and almost remain best friends? Well, it doesn't seem so in this passage that there's a reconciliation and if it's genuine and true, then they part their separate ways and, and that's fine. They've had that discussion, but they, all has been forgiven. And then I, I was preaching this on Remembrance Day and so the idea of reconciliation, the idea of what has happened over the world wars, idea of what has gone on and all that has been done since then and then even in the midst of Brexit and the midst of these sep the separation that we're going through as, as a country and as countries we wonder well what effect will that have on our separation on our reconciliation is that the same or are we playing the part of Jacob in this stance we've we've reconciled after all those conflicts we created a union that was together and now we're kind of saying well we're going to do our own thing We've reconciled, but will this damage? And the hope is that no. And it's not even about cross-border communication or customs or any of those things. It's about can we be separate and yet separated and still be reconciled? Can we work and move together in that position? And that's that's the hardest thing because... In society and in culture now, if we disagree, we tend to disperse. If we disagree, we can tend to keep each other at arm's length or we tend to, to push people away in those instances or we tend to react badly if we don't get what we want out of that. If we try to reconcile, but yet, you know, they're not giving us a fair deal or this deal kind of is rubbish for us. I mean, look what we've given them over the years. Look what we've done. And so we deserve more. 
is that reconciliation or can that still be reconciliation if those are our thoughts as we leave? So there's all kinds of these things. But Jacob in this story has offered reconciliation but misses out to an extent maybe with the relationship with his brother, maybe the relationship with those families, maybe what lies ahead for him and his brother in the midst of it. And God through Jesus has offered us more than simple recognition reconciliation or victory in John 15 which is a passage that's read out many remembrance days it talks about as the father has loved me so have I loved you I remain in my love if you obey my commands you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete my command is this love each other as I have loved you greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That is the blessing that can be ours. That is the inheritance that is ours. That is what we are reconciled into and what we shouldn't turn away from. We have been called friends of the Most High. We have been given this spiritual blessing by being reconciled to God. And so we don't turn and go our own way. We don't despise it. We don't reject it. We don't sell it for something that is worth so much so much less. But instead, we rejoice in it and we celebrate it and we take that reconciliation and find ways of blessing others through it ways of being reconciled to others, ways of moving forward, which, yes, of course, might mean that we go separate ways from others, that we do our own thing, that we find new places or new ways of being, but we don't despise the blessing, the inheritance which ours, which is in ours and which enables us to be called friends with the Most High. Beyond physical, beyond emotional, that is the greatest reconciliation that we can have and that we take from this passage, and that we learn from this story. Hopefully that has helped you to, to understand some of it. Hopefully you'll find value in that. Hopefully you'll get some reminders in that. Uh, and grace and peace, my brothers and sisters.